Hello, everyone. My name is Joshua Gilliland, and I am one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks. With me is Stephen Tullafield, and we are going to discuss the Mandalorian episode, The Convert, which does have a weird double entendre, and it seems to be a theme. Stephen, right. how are you doing? How would you like this episode? I'm good. The episode was uh, kind of refreshing that um, we got a chance to circle back to um, Dr. Pershing and um, and the Imperial officer um, and see what they're what they've been up to since um, the last time we saw them. It's been great. It was a great episode to kind of um, see another angle in the New Republic. Very well acted. Mm-hmm. I I did think the Coruscant material was a little uneven. Yeah. That it could have been trimmed some. Yeah. I get wanting to show Persing's seduction and what happened to him. Yeah. I get that wanting to not be instant. So, like, I appreciate that, but it, it felt a little jarring after a very solid air to air combat scene. And, yeah. and then the hard turn into going to Coruscant and seeing how former imperialists are, are, are treated yeah yeah it was a really big tonal shift wasn't it that was um that was an outstanding um fight with tie fighters um the it was so fun and um and their ships were so cool of course and then it just became a very different story you're right it just kind of focused more on character development um yeah, yeah it was a hard turn so like it's it was different and different doesn't mean bad. It was just different. Yeah. And they had actors who know how to act. So like, let's give credit where credit's due. That's like, let's show off their talent. Let's have them swing for the fences. Cool. And it does give us some issues to talk about with how POWs are basically being integrated back into society. Yeah. So let's, Let's jump into the legal issue. So first off is the the attack on Bo-Katan by the Imperial or Imperial Remnant. So there's already a lot of speculation that that squadron came from Grand Admiral Thrawn. I think that's highly likely. Because that seems to be a lot of firepower. And it's just a squadron of of uh, TIE interceptors and bombers. So they were very well-funded, well-armed. If Thrawn's back, it ties back to the uh, Jedi episode where we had the magistrate and whatever they were building for for Thrawn. Uh, it would make sense if he's building up a war machine. Yeah. Um, What's does- his, is his Star Destroyer called the Chimera? Is yeah. That, uh, oh my gosh, that'd be so cool if we saw that. <laughs> so, so other podcasters have noted that there was no art on the tie fighters but in rebels only his flagship had the art on it yeah so uh and we haven't seen ties with nose art you know so like right. that that just hasn't happened uh that said it would make sense because of the level of the hit and it seemed it's it's attempted murder so it's one thing if the sure. in, in empire still existed and this is a nation state attacking the head of state. Like that's a legitimate use of military force. Pirates, 
I mean, like, (laughs) effectively. So these are, you know, like, they're on the run still. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, they haven't, they're like the the military branches that refused to surrender after World War II. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the Germans, there were the werewolves, you know, where the guy's stringing piano wire across trees to decapitate people driving and... Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Japan, you know, there were guys up until the 70s hiding out in, you know, forests and... Uh, the Philippines wasting their lives. Yeah. You know, for 30 to 40 years of I'm just gonna hide here because I don't want to accept the war being over. Mm-hmm. This would be like an aircraft carrier refusing to surrender. Yeah. And all the support ships. Yeah. Uh, which raised the issue. How do you are you paying them? How are you feeding them? How are you supplying them? Yeah, ideology only goes so far, I guess, but um, maybe it gets you that far. Who knows? Yeah, do, do they have, like, what's their funding source? Like, that doesn't, they're not a government. I mean, and we saw in Andor that Imperials did have warehouses full of money to make payroll. Mm-hmm. So those crews are expecting payment. Or at a minimum, food yeah. and shelter, so that way they're cared for. Uh, maybe they're willing to forgo payment, thinking that they're going to get it later, after they've restored the empire. Right. Uh, you but- know, it's been it's been a million years since I read the um, the um, the original sort of Thrawn trilogy back in the '90s. Um, I don't even remember if how back in those stories what support Thrawn had other than just sort of the power of his personality <laughs> and the fact that he had the Star Destroyers. Um, I, I don't remember that far back. Yeah, I, I never read them. So I'm disadvantaged. But again, I don't know if they got into issues of supplies. Yeah. You know, there's, uh, I didn't watch the TV series, but there was the book, The Last Ship, mm. that dealt with, the destroyer nathan james after a a nuclear exchange Mm. oh right yeah i remember that show i didn't read yeah Uh, but i I read the book in high school yeah and their issue is like resupplying it burns diesel so that meant they had to figure out places they could go excuse me it was nuclear so they had to figure out where they could go to refuel Mm -hmm. and get and because their reactor was nearing the end of its fuel life so they needed to go get more uranium mm-hmm. to fuel the ship or plutonium whatever something mm-hmm. nuclear and figuring out where could we go so yeah. like they had those issues of where can we go get food how do we supply thrawn would have similar issues of where are they getting the coaxium to keep the star destroyer moving right and uh, are they just out there levying taxes so yeah uh so whatever imperial warlord it's they don't have a government backing them financially to take care of all of those things unless they're just going out and living off the land do we do we have the sense that bo-katan is actually serving as any sort of she's not serving as a head of state anymore right she's i feel like this is sort of her like mopey exile um uh kind of outpost um so it's sort of like a private home i guess maybe for family or something yeah and again she is of the royal family so 
it's arguable that she has the right to claim being head of state. Mm -hmm. uh, so that would make her an understandable target. But this seems to be very much a vengeance maneuver. Yeah. And when you have remnants of a military deciding to go out and kill someone, that's attempted murder. Yeah. Uh, they they it's hard to figure out any way that's a justified use of military force under the law of war. And maybe that's something our, our friend Thomas could, you know, cover in a blog post about whether that's makes her a legitimate target or not. Because you're not supposed to target civilians and just going, um, you know, we have rules against assassinating heads of state, but we could still bomb a country and decapitate the that capital. You know, like we did that in both times in Iraq with bombing Iraq or when we hit Libya in 1986. We missed Gaddafi, but the, you know, it was a use of force. So, hmm. homework for Thomas. Yes. Yes. Uh, we'll send him his uh, assignment for yeah. <laughs> tackling this issue. But let's pivot to Coruscant. And you identified some issues right out of the gate. Let's yeah. walk us through entrapment. Well, first off, I was interested in your take on, because I feel like this sort of the end of the episode, um, sort of as an initial matter, it's not clear to me whether um, uh, Elia um, Kane is her name, right? Um, the um, former imperial, imperial officer. It's not clear to me whether she's, doesn't seem like she's law enforcement. Um, it doesn't, I'm not sure that she, maybe she's cooperating with the New Republic authorities, but I, I'm not sure that she's actually an agent of theirs. Because um, entrapment, of course, is a defense to criminal activity. And um, of course, um, they're, they did all sorts of, they did all sorts of crimes there on Coruscant. They, um, they jumped out of a moving train and sort of trespassed all over a decommissioned um, uh, Star Destroyer that was unsecured, but certainly didn't seem open to the public. Then he stole a bunch of material that was not his. Um, and so the question is whether if, if um, Elia Kane was law enforcement, if she had sort of tricked him into engaging in all that criminal activity, regardless of his intent, regardless of his conduct, whether he would be liable for those crimes if she had somehow um, fraudulently or induced him into doing the crimes that he otherwise wouldn't commit. Um, of course, it's not, entrapment is not a defense um, to everything that you are sort of persuaded to do. Entrapment sort of assumes that nor everyday law-abiding citizens will resist the temptation to break the law if the opportunity presents itself. But where there are situations where law enforcement really kind of co somehow coerces you or tricks you into doing something unlawful, that might be a defense. Um, so I don't know, it, it seemed like he was pretty easily persuaded to engage in the conduct. I'm not sure how, assuming that Elia was a um, law enforcement, if whether that would be sufficient for him to assert the defense of entrapment. Good question. Uh, is she just an informant who's using him? Mm -hmm. You know, she clearly is still loyal to the empire and has an ulterior motive for 
for her end game. Right. But it it opened up a larger issue of that the New Republic is really not good at this. Yeah. Um, like super bad with knowing how to treat formal Imperials. Mm-hmm. It's like after World War II, we did war crimes trials in Germany and a couple, few in Japan, not as many as we should have, but we did a few in Japan. And we eventually realized we would need to try all of Germany uh, for being complicit in World War II and the final solution and all the evil that Germany did. And we declined to do that because we needed Germany to face off against the Soviet Union. And so we, we stopped with the war trial, with war crimes trials. We got the big fish. Uh, this is different because it's what do you do with everybody else? It's like the U-boat commander, right. the, you know, and the crew on the U-boat who worked in the engine room. What do you do with those guys? Right. And it's, it's not like they're separate political entity that's everyone's kind of it's it's not like we're um you know the the allied countries are sort of trying to figure out how to resolve the the crimes against humanity of another political entity here the the new republic has absorbed sort of politically and culturally and socially the people who were imperial so it's really just a transition of governments um, and it sort of raises questions about how we kind of resolve our differences with our neighbors um, in ways that I'm not sure that like the World War II um, war crimes trials would have um, sort of raised. It's so interesting. Yeah, which then points back to the American Civil War. Mm-hmm. There was only one trial after the American Civil War. Oh, really? And that was for George War, who was the com- commandant of Andersonville. And because the that POW camp where they kept Union soldiers was atrocious. Mm. Uh, the survivors came out, and if you look at photos of them and put them up against people at Dachau or Auschwitz, you couldn't tell them apart mm. on who came from where. Uh, Walt Whitman served as a nurse during the Civil War. And he was on hand to see a ship come in with those survivors. And he had no words to describe the condition of those human beings. Leading poet of the late 19th century had no words for what he saw. We had to reintegrate those who committed mass treason after the Civil War. And, you know, the 14th Amendment, you know, did preclude those who from holding office, uh, you know, the like Jefferson Davis spent time in prison. Uh, they captured him in drag, uh, pretending to be a woman trying mm-hmm. to escape. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, uh, you have. They tried sending back the former Confederate vice president uh, who did the cornerstone speech to the U.S. Senate and a few other guys who had been generals in uniform, Confederate uniform sent back to Congress 
and Congress refused to seat them and said, no, right, no. But they, we did reconstruction and we prohibited people from holding office and we started rebuilding. We made sure African-Americans had constitutional rights and you know, we things were going well until the Redeemer movement started um, uh, and, and the rise of the Klan. Uh, and, but again, we did things to fight that. This is kind of comparable, but but not. Yeah. Uh, there, there's some. We didn't have like reintegration dorms for people who were Confederates. Yeah, it's, it's a weird beast, and like you're you're not giving people job satisfaction with what they're doing. Like if you want them doing prison labor, have them breaking rocks with a sledgehammer like there there's a way to put make sure that if you want to punish you can but what they were doing is just engaging in monotony that's going to encourage bad behavior yeah um a resentment at least um you know of the of the new republic yeah. um yeah well that and i mean the robot psychiatrists doing check-ins it's like you couldn't spare a human being yeah for that to read the room notice that uh Pershing has a tick when you know he has a tell for when he's about to say something that he either believes or disagrees with you could he has a tell yeah you, know, you wouldn't be able to play poker with him <laughs> or you well, could, well, you could. Yeah. <laughs> he needs to know about that behavior uh if he wants to be successful at any sort of espionage or gambling but yeah. it also shows an issue that the people of coruscant just went through multiple regimes and didn't care they go from republic to empire and their lives don't change yeah so the super elite probably tolerated the empire because it didn't impact them because they were wealthy yeah yeah especially on the sort of the surface levels of Coruscant where everything's sparkly and pretty and um you know well manicured um the folks up there didn't their lives didn't change very much at all it seems no they could still go to the theater they could still do what they wanted and the emperor was keeping them safe yeah so they literally didn't care about yeah. what was happening which means that they don't care about all of these POWs that they're reintegrating into society oh. that they just they're all getting a mulligan yeah although it was so interesting I I'm sort of been mulling that scene where Pershing is giving kind of his TED talk about why he's you know how grateful he is that he's given this opportunity to um try a new life and to um you know still put his talents to good use um, and the sort of the the coarseness of the the way he was treated afterwards by all the people who just sort of fawned over him as some sort of example of um, they they sort of acted really self assured by or self gratified by how nice they were being to him um, when they could have been really cruel or put him in prison um, and it's just sort of a very uh, interesting commentary on how. Um, we regard people who are sort of the beneficiaries of what's of some social um improvements or what's perceived as, as a social improvement and how sort of 
um, cynical that can be. Um, I thought it was really interesting. It's kind of that scene has kind of stuck with me. Yeah, because of the it's they're living in a gilded age. Yeah. Uh, is, is again late nineteenth century comparisons that you know as long as the wealthy aren't having problems, like everyone else, be damned. Uh, so they got that going for them. Right. But it's like even with again post World War II Operation Paperclip, like we we did not have von Braun doing data entry, <laughs> yeah. like. You're going to build rockets for us. You're taking us to the moon and the next 24 years, big boy, get to work. Like that was like we found a place for the German scientists to be of service to the United States. And that wasn't pushing paper. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's, I know we're sort of straying from legal issues here, but it's like unpacking this dynamic is so interesting because too, I think that um, I was just thinking, you know, well, the technology, the technology in the, in the Mandalorian was maybe really questionable morally, like all the, you know, even Pershing sort of acknowledged that the ethics of cloning people is really murky and, um, and on the one hand, you could kind of see why maybe the New Republic wasn't really interested in developing that. Um, but at the same time, the, the, the ethics of developing nuclear warheads <laughs> after war was um, equally murky. Um, and so the US certainly didn't have a problem with that. Um, but it's also, uh, but it's, in, it's interesting that he's acknowledged that maybe, you know, at least cloning, but maybe some of the other things that other technology or other weapons that the empire was developing are were so dark and maybe so, um, so, unethical that um that even he was kind of squeamish about it and could see why maybe the the new republic was just kind of scrapping everything in wholesale and just not having anything to do with it i mean i get them having a prohibition on cloning which brings us back to a, the law that he wants to do his life's work and he's told no because they have the uh, uh concords or armistice or whatever treaty uh, of Coruscant that precludes them from engaging in cloning. And that makes sense on some level. I mean, and the stuff that he was doing is like dark, you know, weird science of, I'll take this from a person and this DNA from another person and combine it together. It's like mad scientist territory. Like this isn't you know, he lost his mom because if they'd just been able to grow a heart for her, like she would have been fine. Or again, I've raised this issue before. It doesn't make sense that people who lose a limb need a droid part when you could grow them a new hand and attach it. That seems like it would be a useful thing to have. The droid hand looks so much cooler. <laughs> Does it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you gotta think of all the gears and everything that you have to maintain. It's just, it's so metal. It is <laughs> like, you know, I do not want a hook for a hand or a bionic hand. I'm, I'd like to stay me. Um, but at least pursing like starts out in the right direction of like, hey, if we could just clone my mom a heart, she would have been fine. She would have survived. Noble intent. It then turns into, I'm now working for a war criminal. 
because that's the only job I could get, like drafted. I mean, so again, there's there's some squeamish issues there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does for me raise a yeah, there's an equal protection issue with how you treat the formal imperials. So you don't want to uh, create a system that's going to sow the seeds of the next war. Uh, like the best way to recruit for the rebellion was from the empire. You know, former stormtroopers, people who were just fed up, tired of the tyranny. This is very much post Treaty of Versailles. Of we'll just disarm. Like we'll put you know limits on how many ships you can have. We'll start decommissioning things. We won't have a standing army, so we can't defend ourselves from a threat. And that's all bad. It it highlights the debate during the forming the country, where it was either right after we formed, or it was during the Constitutional Convention, where uh, there were those who thought we could prevent war we put a limit on the size of the army and Washington made the comment, are you going to pass a law limiting the size of the invading army? Like it doesn't work that way, dude. Like that's, that's not how real politics work They're They want to attack you. They will, and you got to be ready for it. And so their disarmament is, you know, they die because of that by the time of the force awakens yeah well yeah and so we sort of we were talking sort of about how um you know how um elia is sort of ambiguously like we don't really know her relationship with the new republic officers that she was involved with and you know if she's not law enforcement if she's not sort of an agent the alternative, I guess, is to think of her as just another person who has framed um, Dr. Pershing for the conduct, um, which which then sort of, uh, and of course, framing someone is, is just basically like um, essentially a obstruction of justice issue because you're you're, te- you're submitting false testimony or falsely identifying someone as having done the criminal conduct mostly or largely when you're the one in fact who's done the criminal conduct or seeking to sheet, shift the investigative um, spotlight onto someone else. So, um, so but I, as far as I can tell, she wasn't really interested in personally committing those crimes. She had some reason to get Dr. Pershing out of the picture or to focus the New Republic on him so that he would be I don't know, whatever happened, put in the position with that mind flare so that maybe she could erase his memory. So um, we're, we're, there's a lot of ambiguity kind of there at the end of the episode about her motivations, why she did what she did, um, where she's going with that, and um, which I guess I'm excited about because I liked seeing them on screen and I really liked their characters. So hopefully we can see more of them. Yeah, and she now has a name as a, you know, which was big. Now, I did see a TikToker theorize that she's pregnant because of the way she touches her belly twice. Oh, I didn't catch that. Huh. Yeah. I, and you know, like sometimes just it could just be straightened in the jacket. But if somebody was that observant, power to them for figuring that detail out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, does she, does she want to have Snoke? Like, what's going on here? Uh, yeah. 
Because, well, at this time, this is about the time that Palpatine's clones out there running around and falling in love and having Ray. So, right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Or just before, maybe, maybe they're, I guess, how, how would that work in the timeline? Because it seems pretty clear. I mean, yeah, that, that Dr. Pershing was working for the Imperial Remnant, which turns into the First Order, which um, obviously is, is the society or the movement that produces all those clones of Snoke and um, Palpatine. And, so um, I'm, I'm not clear on what, what the ages of those clones would be or if they were cloned sort of fully formed or if they have their cloned as sort of infants and have to grow up. It's unclear. Yeah, because this would be if it's seven years or seven to nine years after Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. So we are, what, 25 years away from Force Awakens? Right. Yeah, math might be wrong, but that's just oh, doing yeah. it. Wrong. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. Sounds yeah. right. Yeah. So Ray's early 20s. Yeah. So yeah, we're right around that time where her father needs to be escaping and falling in love and having her. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess I guess now I come to think of it, the the clones of um, of Django Fett were their growth was accelerated. Is yeah, that, that was true, right? In the Clone Wars, mm -hmm. so so they probably maybe it doesn't take a full time. a couple years. Yeah, yeah. It, so it could be, but again, that's like developing a personality type and going like, hey, I don't want to turn into the Emperor again. I'm gonna go find a nice lady and get married like that's a huge <laughs> you need a little time to make that decision is all that i'm saying but right. uh, but again maybe, maybe we shouldn't think too hard about the math yeah because uh, we know there's other cloning experiments and i got the impression from the rise of skywalker that the cloning on uh Exicol have been going on for an extended period of time. Seemingly, yeah. So, because again, building those Star Destroyers is not a weekend endeavor. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too how the how the Bad Batch is sort of parallel with the Mandalorian and the Bad Batch just had an episode about cloning technology and the and um and recovering the Kaminoan technology and their techniques and the Zillow bees, which is a huge callback. And so it's funny how they're, um, you know, the simultaneous um, run time, runs of these two series are having these kind of echoes with each other. And then they're, uh, what, like 30 years apart. Yeah. So yeah. it's, again, playing the long game and figuring out cloning so Palpatine could have eternal life or whatever, you know, he wanted from that. Um, so yeah, a lot to, again, they're connecting the dots to make Rise of Skywalker make sense. So <laughs> there's a, but again, it, it like it's not built in a day yeah. kind of situation. Yeah. yeah. Now let's, let's get into going to the shipyard. And being able to, again, we do get eye candy of taking the train ride. And uh, when they're, when our protagonists are out having their ice cream, 
the background music you could hear is Star Wars music. That the, the Resistance. It's in universe canon. It's so cool. <laughs> I was like, that's well done. Bravo. Bravo. Uh, nice, nicely done. So you get into the issue of trespass, both on the decommissioned Star Troy, uh, Destroyer and the train without a ticket. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, I mean, of course, um, first of all, the um, sort of hopping off the train and um, and sort of milling around on the tracks um, after the train has has uh, taken off, that's um, it's it's kind of a it's a public conveyance. So you have authorization to be in the train cars, but the tracks themselves and other areas that are maybe a little dangerous or um, are part of the functioning of the public conveyance are, are off limits to the public for sort of obvious reasons, safety reasons. And um, so there, that, that would be sort of a trespass, um, which is the um, you know, sort of the entry of some place where you don't have authorization to be. And, um, and trespass, of course, is just a matter of common law, a matter of statutory law, but also things like trains are often regulated by local ordinance um, or the, for example, here in San Francisco Bay Area, the barrier rapid transit is um, um, part of the municipal code for the city and county of San Francisco. And there are section 17.1 of the San Francisco BART district code prohibits um, people from being on the tracks, um, unauthorized people being on the tracks. So there's sort of multiple layers of why that's bad, um, because that's not a, they're not supposed to be there. But then also, I was, I was sort of hoping to check in with Thomas about like what the the fact that these dis, de, um, decommissioned star destroyers just are seemingly left unguarded, um, kind of maybe off the beaten trail, but certainly they didn't seem to have to overcome any sort of security or any guards it's it seemed like it was kind of open to the public but that seems like it would be very restricted <laughs> IRL yeah that's uh like we haven't had a war we've where we had to decommission the other side's fleet for you know since world war ii and post-world war ii we you know like we got german and japanese submarines and we learn from them because both had different advances and different tech than than we did and uh like the the germans had some late game ones that if deployed earlier could have made a difference glad they didn't the japan experimented with uh hangar bays so they could have aircraft launched after surfacing uh so they were again but they were late uh in the war they, Japan actually had planned to do a flea attack in San, on San Diego in September of 45 as biological warfare uh, you know, to drop clay jars with parachutes with fleas to infect the population. Um, we bombed them first. So, and they surrendered a month before that happened. Uh, it was planned to happen. We then used German and Japanese ships and some of our older ones at Bikini Atoll for the new, you know, Abel and Baker tests to see what would happen if you dropped a nuclear bomb on a fleet or atomic bomb on a fleet. And in one of those 
picture, you know, the mushroom cloud, you can see the Prince Eugen standing up on its stern, um, which was a German battleship. Um, yeah, so again, those, it's fascinating to go look at what happened. But again, like we literally nuked them to see what would happen. This is a junkyard for them to scrap, which theoretically should be employing thousands of people to take the things apart. And they seem to be doing it super slowly at a leisurely pace. <laughs> like it's not important to them. Yeah. It's Did the New Republic have no teeth, no ability to like... Were the one percenters just in charge, no matter what government was there? It's a really weird and disturbingly weak uh, style of government. Yeah, very ineffectual and very sort of um, sloppy, it seems. Um, but it, it's interesting because there's that contrast with there, there's a recent Bad Batch episode, and I should have looked it up, but they, they had to go to retrieve something from a decommissioned clone cruiser, am I right? And that that was sort of um, being patrolled by droids, and it was very difficult for them to get into it. And they had to slice things, and they had to, you know, do engage in all sorts of peril to to just get into the thing that they needed to get. Um, and it just stands in real stark contrast to. And I, I suppose that's the the empire that's um, kind of taking apart those those ships versus the new republic. So maybe that explains the distinction. Yeah, it just. It highlights what a bad peacetime leader Mon Moffat is. And just going, now we declared peace. We're done. It's like, oh, that's not how peace works. <laughs> like that's uh, which is again, you know, the seeds for World War II were planted immediately after World War One. Uh, from okay, you got the recreations issue with just hammering Germany and causing hyperinflation and all the bad things there. But you also have the the Washington and London Naval Treaties saying like, oh, you can't have aircraft carriers. Your battleships can only be so big. You can only have so many submarines. And the Nazis will ignore those eventually, as with the Japanese. It's like, come get us. Our Navy is now bigger. And surprise, we made aircraft carriers. We made submarines. You know, you guys declared peace and you ignored us. And now we're going to kill you. And that's the lesson from World War I to World War II that's directly comparable to the New Republic not doing its job. And that leads to the First Order wiping them out. So do we get a new New Republic? Yeah, good question. A restored Republic? Yeah, what would they call themselves? The New Old Republic. <laughs> we're, we're we're back to the golden age of jedi but we're new <laughs> we're just going to call it republic right. or maybe maybe something different now we we've learned our lesson that republic seems to not work for us anymore uh yeah so yeah it's just very again the political science student in me is like yeah this ain't right like you're you're doing government wrong because you don't know how to reintegrate people. You don't know how to prosecute a war criminal. And you don't know how to make sure that human beings are interacting with other human beings or any biological entity. 
because the only time that we see other biological entities is for the lobotomy. Yeah. This is troubling. <laughs> so many levels. So let's talk about the legal standards for giving a lobotomy. Because yeah. this used to be a thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It yeah, and it, it was highly perverted and cruel. Uh, but people who are involuntary committed have the right to refuse psychotherapy. And that's California Wellness and Institution Code section 4503. That's just one state example. Mm -hmm. Now, this right can be overwritten on a showing of good cause, which includes treating physicians documenting the treatment needed, a review of the patient's treatment record by two treating physicians who both agree and recommend the treatment, and written consent by the patient or the person's guardian. And that's uh, California Wellness Institution Code, section 5326.7. Not all of that happens. So they might be able to get to the two physicians to say, he went AWOL. Let's give him a lobotomy. Now, he's clearly not consenting to it. Sure. So you don't have that. He's not legally incompetent. So having a guardian appointed to make legal decisions for him is super problematic because he's competent. And right. if their test is, well, he went AWOL, he's therefore incompetent. That's not how incompetency is judged. Yeah, I, I was really unclear about what their what the purpose of, because they, they, they tried to spin it as being sort of therapeutic. Like they acknowledge that this technology can be used to really screw people up. But at sort of very low levels, it can help, I don't know, adjust or something or help people come to terms with their living situation. I wasn't really clear on what they were trying to do with it. The Mon Calamari said, you know, I've had the treatment myself. I found it very pleasant. Um, so I'm not sure what they were what they were hoping to achieve with it. Um, but you're right. It's it's really antithetical to um, concepts of um, kind of rehabilitation to and um, the other penological goals to just take someone's mind from them. It's very invasive. It's very scary um, and something that we just don't do anymore in very exceptional circumstances. So most states have very high bars about involuntary medical procedures, um, especially given the history of how states and other and governments have um, used those involuntary procedures to marginalize and institutionalize people with disabilities. Um, uh, in, like in 1973, the, the Lanterman Act was passed in California that that um, prohibits that sort of treatment by pe of people with developmental disabilities. Previously, they were subjected to all sorts of categorizations of being quote unquote unfit and being sort of, um, you know, when the eugenics movement was sort of the politicians were sort of enthralled with uh, enthralled by that sort of very evil philosophy. Um, that they would um, marginalize and vulnerable people were very, um, very cruelly subjected to involuntary medical procedures like that. So we've 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 changed those those legal frameworks um, to to not do that and except in very extraordinary circumstances and when there's some level of consent. 
it's an abomination. Like there's just, there's no way around it. Yeah. Uh, to have someone be held involuntarily is a 5150 code. And there that's for at least three days. The person has to be a danger to themselves. There's a few other checks and balances in there that highlight the person's a danger to themselves with law enforcement and a treating physician. And thus they're put on a 72 hour hold. This Persings is not that. Yeah. Uh, so it's just they go to <clears throat> they go to psychosurgery very quickly. Yeah, that escalated fast. <laughs> it's like, whoa, we're gonna <laughs> don't worry, it's it's gonna feel super peaceful. It's like, yeah, cutting out a chunk of someone's brain does that. Uh so right. And he seemed to be, I mean, on the one hand, he seemed to be not distressed by the procedure at first when it was sort of the very low levels and then of course Elia Kane turned up the dial and took it into an um where it was less therapeutic or less pleasant but um yeah it seems it seems like a very invasive uh procedure regardless of of the level of it um yeah well that and we skipped the entire concept of due process right to counsel right uh, a judge like in someone who's sort of an advocate for the person who is yeah. allegedly incompetent yeah it goes from the communications officer saying hey i was with him leave me alone to turn up the dial <laughs> yeah sloppy sloppy new republic yeah, yeah it's just like you have all of these other procedures automated by droids which in theory should eliminate human error or wrongful doing but for the thing that actually requires a setting you have people do it and in unattended rooms <laughs> it's hilarious yeah it was just like this is really bad on one level that's sloppy writing yeah. uh, i love other, star wars that's like that's so star wars-y you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, oh, hands down it's just showing that the malaise of the new republic and it shows why the Mandalorian is critical of the New Republic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, and I've it's sort of been pointing. People have really been pointing out how, from the get go, um, th that um, uh, the showrunners have talked about how this show is going to bridge that gap between Return of the Jedi and the sequel trilogy by showing. Like you don't get the first order without some very serious failings on the part of the uh, of the New Republic, and I think they're they're coming at this show with sort of a very critical um, eye of the of the New Republic and its leadership. Well, that because the New Republic's politics seem to be we're going to ignore problems until it kills us. Yeah, and I mean that's isolationism in a nutshell. Right. Um, well, okay. There are two flavors of isolationism. The flavor that could work is it, that you maintain a very powerful military as a deterrent from anyone messing with you, because messing with you is certain death. Most countries that practice isolationism have not gone that road. They go the road of, we're just going to leave things alone because we assume we're the best. I, I have a life magazine from 
1940 that shows the U.S. Pacific Fleet in action and how confident they were with the battleships out there doing all the maneuvers, great pictures of the USS Arizona underway, and thinking that we got this. No one's ever going to mess with us. And what isn't focused on are aircraft carriers. And so, because they were tied to the idea of the noble battleship. And that's all that we need, despite the fact some of these things being old. And December 7th happens. And there's a lot of bad that, that goes into how we get there. And uh, the Pacific Crusade category you know, explains that it starts in like the 1890s with U.S. foreign policy. And that leads up to, you know, what Japan turns into in embracing fascism and us being, we're better than you. That all ends horribly. And it, and it part of the reason is we're isolationists. We don't think that it's going to be a problem because no one's going to mess with us. The New Republic has the same problem. Yeah. And, except they went, uh, they went in the other direction of just, not having a military. Yeah. I'm so interested in seeing how they'll handle this because I think, but, you know, part of Mon Mothma's political philosophy is what's so interesting about her is that she's, um, she, she, her moral fiber is very clear and she's very clear that she doesn't want to become the thing that they're fighting against. Um, and so it, it causes her, I think, to have some very big blind spots in ways that I think, as we'll see, will cause a lot of problems down the road but but on the one hand that's a very admirable thing to 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 be to to want to be the take the high ground to um to sort of be expansive and embrace diversity and to to have a lot of to bring people in instead of shutting people out but um but it's i think it made them vulnerable to um I don't know. We'll see what happens. I think it made them vulnerable to people who have other ideas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially if they go like, hey, they're not going to arm themselves. Right. They'll go build our secret Navy and get ready to blow them up. Uh, let's let's go and start carving uh, the, the equator out of this planet so we can turn it into a super weapon. Like that wasn't done overnight. That had to take decades. Yeah. Sort of turning a blind eye to it or not. Yeah. Again, action. Yeah. Europe turned a blind eye to to Hitler. Mm -hmm. Like it was France's responsibility to crush the German military if it started building up. They didn't do that. They built a wall. The Germans went around the wall. The French surrender and then start capitulating. And there are those who resist. So like you can't ignore the problem it's yeah it's it's beyond ignoring your cholesterol <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah i'm interested because it's you know that dynamic between mon mothma and, and leia that was so nicely portrayed in that bloodline novel that was really a great story um so i'm interested to see how they get there about how they start to diverge and how they start to navigate that um yeah yeah and so at this point, is Mon Mothma still the leader? That's a good question. Um, I'm not exactly, I don't know off the top of my head where, 
I, I sort of assume the Galactic Seven has been restored under the New Order, and so um, I don't know, though, I'm trying to recall, I'm going to portray my ignorance now of the new canon, but I, I'm trying to remember who becomes, is she the Chancellor of the New Republic? Was, the first, was it First Senator? Maybe, something like that, I can't remember now, but anyway, I think she was kind of the first main leader of the New Republic. I don't know how long her tenure lasted, though. Yeah, and if they do term limits and, yeah. you know, and rebuilding after the war would take time, but mm -hmm. they're, they're not doing a good job. So, like, there's a, um, again, this is, it, it's like going from Woodrow Wilson to, um, not McKinley. Oh, you lost me there, sorry. Um, uh, before Coolidge dies in office. Why am I blanking on that president? Um, well, Cleveland died in office, right? No. No, so hold on, hold on. Let's, uh, uh, presidents who died. <laughs> presidents who died in office in 1922. Oh, Harding, Warren G. Harding. Sorry, it took a minute for the brain cells to catch up. Got it. You know, again, one of the few guys from Congress elected president and, you know, his campaign slogan was like, back to normalcy. And it was just, again, isolationist, do nothing, roar, roar, roaring 20s. And, uh, you know, he either died of disease or his wife murdered him because he was having an affair or Republican politicians murdered him because he was wising up. Like, there's a few, few, you know, theories. theories. Uh, him just dying is probably the most easy one to accept. <laughs> so, because um, that happens to people. But yeah, Warren G. Harding. So it's kind of similar to uh, Harding at this point, or like a James Buchanan before the Civil War. Like you're just setting things up for failure by willing your willingness to not do anything. So, so anyway. Uh, any other legal issues from this or accidentally joining a cult? <laughs> it's sort of, oops, I'm in a cult. I had no idea. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's any legal issues with, with Bo Katan doing that, but I thought it was really surprising. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops, a days. My home got bombed. I have nowhere yeah. to go. I woke up today. It was a normal day. By the end of the day, I'm in a cult. Who knew? <laughs> Did not see that coming. But <laughs> I went to save a kid. I had to like swim to the bottom of this lake to save a dude. Yep. And now I'm in a cult after my home got blown up. So. And the great thing about not never taking your helmet off is no one can see your look of shock. <laughs> you realize, <laughs> uh. <laughs> well. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah. So we'll see how that turns out. I'm sure it'll end totally fine. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> we fine. Yeah. Um, oh, good point. Yeah, that's... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I did wonder, like, oh, she went swimming too. She should technically be redeemed now. It's like, okay, yeah. they, they acknowledge that. Good for her. Yeah. Um, thus making her the unwilling convert, you know. I mean, she said this is the way meaningfully you know prior to the battle yeah i am very curious to where they go like will they go find the ig 
memory board. Uh, Navarro could be a really good home for all of them. It's like, you guys don't have to live out here. You could all have a nice place to live. Or come back to what's left of my castle and we rebuild it. And like, this will be groovy. Yeah, something about Mandalorians, though, it makes me think they're not really looking for a nice place to live. Yeah, but they're, they I, want to fight. Yeah, but I'm really <laughs> surprised. Again, the Navarro would make sense. Like, you guys yeah. could be law enforcement because they're pirates. You guys want to go punch a pirate? We could do that. Um, make sure the school's today safe. But I'm surprised Bo Katan didn't have any air, air well, ground to air defenses. You know, like that's they've been there a while. They didn't get nuked during the purge. Uh, were there not any droids to turn them on if they existed? I mean, I have questions, but uh, her body language was great. <laughs> like, oh no, <laughs> this day is not going the way I wanted it to. Amazing. Um, so yeah. much fun. Well, that, everyone, Stephen and I are going to be at WonderCon on Sunday for civil rights in the time of Star Wars. So we're going to have a ripper on good time. Join us if you're going to be there. And if not, we'll record the audio. It'll be fun. And uh, Wednesday night, uh, other members from our team are doing Wednesday and talking about all the great legal issues there. I've seen the slides. They rock. Be there. Saturday at 7, Sunday at 3 p.m. You can see us, room 207. It's going to be wicked. Yeah, and uh, so everyone, wherever you are, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay geeky. Take care. <laughs>